Hello everyone and welcome back to The War Room, which is our interview series as part of the Clone Star Pod. I am your host, Sean Ferrick, and joining me is the actor, dancer, writer, apparently often user of blue jeans, uh, developer and owner of the yoga app Yogable, the graduate of Interlochen Arts Academy and University of Southern California School of Dramatic Arts and the Kirov Academy of Ballet, it is the wonderful Alex Steele. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much. Wow, that intro made me feel so important. <laughs> well, you are important. The good thing is that I know next to nothing about you after that. So I mean, like, we can discuss everything. Perfect, perfect. Let's, or we can keep the mystery. <laughs> I, 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 I do like that because... The... You'll just never know if I'm telling you the truth or if I'm making something up. But... <laughs> I mean, listen, isn't that the risk we run with every single person we speak to? I guess that's true. Wow. Now that you mentioned it, how do you ever know what's real or what's not? Dang, we got deep real quick. We did. This is okay. This podcast. Okay. Hi, and welcome to the psychological podcast. No. Um, well, first of all, I want to say thank you so much for coming on and having a chat with me. I really, really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my God. My absolute pleasure. Um, the next thing I want to do is what did Mars ever do on you and why did you decide to destroy it? Ah, well, you know, Mars, they just, you know, men are from Mars and men are bad. So you just got to give them a little bit of a taste of their own medicine sometimes, you know, you know, that saying men are from Mars, women are from Venus or something like that. Yeah. Been hurt by too many men and, you know, just got to serve it back to them. <laughs> okay. it, you know, and at first, I think there's no better message you can give to men everywhere. It's like, you know, listen, if you hurt them, 39,000 people will die and the planet will burn forever. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's the subtext. If In case anyone did not get that from the first watch through. <laughs> just, just for the I've actually just realized, just for the people who maybe don't know. Who is it you played in Star Trek? I have to see I have this image now. Somebody confused people going, what the hell oh, right. is this guy done? <laughs> of course, maybe I should be a little bit more direct. <laughs> um, okay, so in the first season of Star Trek Picard, I played primarily F8 was one of the androids. I play basically a whole host of these android series, usually referred to as A500s, but I've also seen online a couple times referred to as A400s. And I'm not sure if that's just a typo or some people were saying that the A400s were in season one and A500s are in season two or vice versa, but I've never been given any clarity on that. So I'm saying they're all A500s. Um, so I basically play all the A500s, which are basically all the worker people on um, the Mars space colony. And basically, or not all the worker people, there are some humans there, but basically anything that doesn't require a lot of you know, decision making. So if someone's going to be a mechanic or just like fix some stuff or basically to put it a little bit directly, basically they're like slaves. Um, or at least that was the way it was being portrayed um, to my my interpretation. Um, so I in the first season basically play F8, who is one of the first ones who basically gets taken over and then starts to go everything haywire and, you know, changes all the programming and stuff and kills all the humans who are around because um, it's first contact day. So it's already been like strategized so that there's a lot fewer crew around. So it's easier for this to happen. And it's a little unclear, which I guess maybe if you want to give it away, you can, but it's unclear whether it's like, oh, is he rebelling because they're treating him so poorly and they're treating him really badly or is like he getting some mind control stuff or is he getting like hacked into uh but basically we end up destroying 
the whole Mars space station, um, which is why the synthetic life ban is put into place, which is one of the main things that they're trying to undo throughout season one. And then season two, I was super excited to come back. I basically come back as uh, the dark. So they go into this dark alternate universe or this alternate timeline uh, where I, again, I'm playing a whole host of these different androids. And the primary one that I play is named Harvey, who is uh, General Picard's valet, basically assistant. But I also play a bunch of other ones, like 335 and a bunch of other unnamed ones as well. Um, And I just really quickly wanted to say, it's so interesting that even in an alternate darker timeline where Picard is made out to be this huge villain, there's still obviously some part of him that recognizes the possibilities for synthetic life because he's the only one who named his valet or his assistant everyone else just calls them 335 or gives them you know whatever their number barcode number or whatever the equivalent of that would be but he actually named him harvey um so i thought that was really interesting it is actually because it's what i was actually re-watching the opening episode there no the sec- second episode sorry the one where we're kind of in the universe yes. there last night and um uh, it's the the scene. Q is taking him through the skulls, and obviously General Picard is a very imaginative person. You know, I can see him naming his valet and also having Sarek executed in front of his wife. And stuff. <laughs> you know, there's there's different applications for this logic. You know, yes. <laughs> um, and so I presume you're going to play all of Lore's Secret Army in season three as well. Oh. I unfortunately am not appearing in season three unless they've used some amazing, you know, computer graphic technology that I'm not aware of. Uh, But, you know, you never know with Star Trek because so many different things can happen with alternate timelines and also being an android and having them be like possibly endless copies that are maybe stored away in some storage unit somewhere. Um, You never say never, but uh, (laughs) I'm not aware of any appearances I'll be making in season three, though that would be amazing if I did. (laughs) I I can just imagine the pilot episode of season three, the opening scene, and it's Picard addressing an army of you. And you're like, (sighs) would have been real nice to get paid for that. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I mean, they have, to be fair, they have done a bunch of these like body scans of me where I would just like stand basically the way that you would imagine like a video game character. And they just have all these cameras taking like 360 images of you. Um, so that is possible, but, uh, it's not been communicated to me in any way. So don't hold your breath. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. Send hate to people who don't put. (laughs) Um, there's actually that, that basically first scene that you hear where it's kind of the locker of you. Um, Mm -hmm. I, is this going to be a really silly question is, did you have to then film in that, you know, in that spot and that spot and that spot, or was it enough that they did the body scan that you only, you never had to worry about the fact there was 20 of you in the room. You just did your one scene and away you went. So I actually felt a little guilty about this because they had hired a bunch of background actors to play the other ones. But ultimately because the whole thing is that we're identical copies, slight differences in like body shape or slight differences in height or just like different things just made it not really believable so they had hired all of these people to be there who were spending hours and hours and the costume the amazing costumer uh christine clark had made all these (laughs) awesome costumes for them as well but ultimately just with the reality of the thing they were like i'm so sorry we're just gonna have to have alex go and step in like every single position and they basically ended up unfortunately they had uh they i maybe there was one guy who they ended up using in one spot where i'm walking into the door and there's someone who walks behind me 
because oh, that okay. was very, um, you know, that was more like you didn't see us right next to each other standing at the same height. You know, that was more like one is in the foreground, one is in the background. Um, but unfortunately, I don't think any of the rest of them got to do that. But it was fun for me because I got to basically they put X's on the ground, little marks on the ground. And I basically just, you know, got to go to every single one and say the same line from every single one. Uh, and that was the first shot that I actually did. So it was a nice way to be like, OK, let me like get into character. Let me like kind of get the monotony of what this character goes through on a daily basis um, and just the repetitiveness of what I imagine his daily routine is or their daily routine is. Um, That's actually quite funny. For, for it to be the opening scene that you shot, it would be kind of no better way to get into character than, and now stand on that X, and now stand on that X. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. The actual makeup process, I'm assuming, because uh, the people who are listening to this may not know that you have a beautiful head of hair. So <laughs> did you have a bald cap or did you have to make an ultimate sacrifice? Yes. So no, I did not make an ultimate sacrifice. Although I sometimes wonder... Okay, so there was a part of me that was like, if they did ask me back for season three, would it be better for everyone if I just shaved my head? Like, would it be faster for everyone? Like I said, <laughs> to my knowledge, I'm not back in season three. Um, but I actually mentioned that to the makeup artist, James McKinnon, and he was like, you know, I don't think so. Because the way that they did it was they basically used a variety of different bald caps. So they like greased my hair back super flat used bald cap number one to basically get the hair into position mm. and then they would cut up additional bald caps to also cover my eyebrows and then to smooth out all those areas and i think because of the amount of hair that was being put on there it gave my skull like a nice shape and i that was a bizarre compliment to be receiving on a daily basis but people were like you have such a great skull shape or like what a great cranium and i'm like okay great and i was like well probably i won't be getting that same compliment if i did shave my head so uh we ended up using yeah a bunch of different bald caps and that makeup process was so amazing um it was so so fun to do you mind if i like dive into a whole little Go anecdote. for it. Yeah, please. Okay. So um, initially, I got to set not knowing what my character would look like at all, because um, we had done a bunch of life casts, which are basically what you'll do, what they would do for, you know, characters that have less human-esque face or mm. less humanoid faces. So they basically do like a cast of your entire face. They put like little straws in your nose so you can breathe. Um, and they basically, that's all I knew was that they had done that. And I was imagining, oh, maybe I'll look like, like unrecognizable. I'm still semi unrecognizable because I don't have any hair and I don't have any eyebrows and I look quite different. But um, I thought I was going to be coming in and having like, you know, an upside down triangle for a head or like something crazy and wild. Um, and then I got there and they were like, OK, so we scrapped all that. We're just going to be using a bald cap and be painting you. Uh, but we didn't have time to like... Um, practice any of this. So the first day of shooting was actually also their day for doing test makeup. So they called me really early to make sure that we had time so they could try a couple different things. Um, and the first day we took about three hours getting all that makeup on, uh, which is actually not that long considering actually, how much. You hear some horror stories about like you could be eight, nine, you know, X amount of hours. So three hours, I'm sure it was fun when you're an hour and a half in, you're like, I just need to pee. Well, <laughs> you know, it was kind of a blessing because it's with any film set, you usually get called super early in the morning, um, especially if it's interiors, because they try to take advantage of, you know, sound stages rather than exteriors where maybe you're you have to 
choose what time of day you're going to be shooting based on the natural light. But if it's going to be interiors, which a lot of this was, almost everything that I did, um, then they try to do it like so that you start early in the day so you can end by night. So you're not a completely nocturnal being by the end of everything. Um, so when we would get there, sometimes it would be like four in the morning or 3.30, I think was the earliest call time I had. So you're just a zombie at that point. So I'm grateful to have like three hours to just be sitting there with no expectation of like socializing because <laughs> I can't really move that much or talk that much while they're doing makeup on my lips and my mouth and everything. So it's kind of nice to just be like Zen and be like, mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't know. I forgot what your question was. Did that answer anything? <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. It was great though. Um, <laughs> 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 oh, but it is. no, it is. It's and like, I, I can well imagine you know, those early Kyles um, just sitting there. Like if there was ever a book you needed to get through, like the perfect kind of time or like, would you ever be able to have a bit of a snooze? Um, in other shows, I've been able to do a little snooze. But in this, I was really nervous about messing up the makeup or messing up the bald cap, because also, obviously, when people are listening to this, they won't be able to see what I'm doing, but I'm basically drawing my chin down to my chest. Uh, so if you like drop your chin too much, the way you would probably be looking at a phone, if you're like sitting down looking at your phone in your lap, um, that would have stretched the bald cap too much because they also not only had the regular bald cap, they had a part to smooth the bald cap to make it mix and so, blend in with the rest of my neck. Yeah. Um, at that part, if I moved too much, it would start to like stretch and rip and stuff like that. So they told me to be very, very careful. Um, so I was not able to get any snoozing in, but that's okay. It was, it was super fun. <laughs> it was still cool. I, I, I do. I often joke like, oh God, if I ever got to film anything for Star Trek, I'd do it for free. That bit's not getting recorded. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's fine. It's fine forever. And then I just kind of, you get there and the reality is, it's like, I presume like on anything, there's a lot of waiting. Of course. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. The worst day waiting was not of anyone's fault. Um, but in season two, um, we had just started, we were shooting at SoFi Stadium before it had even opened, uh, which is like a big football stadium. Um, but it had not been opened yet. So it was like a big deal that we were getting in there and everything had been like made to look super futuristic. This was our second day shooting there, second out of three days, I think. And I get there, it was my second day shooting there at least. I don't know how many other days other people had been there. Um, so I got there, I got into all my makeup, I had done all my COVID tests because season two we were shooting course, yeah. while COVID was happening. Um, and then I waited there for eight hours in my, my trailer until finally someone came and said, I'm so sorry, someone has tested positive. We have to send everyone home and we're shutting down the production for two weeks. Um, but I understand, you know, you can't make that announcement before you know who they've been in contact with. Of Maybe it's uh, also because of privacy, you can't like, um, you know, you Patrick can't say Stewart's like- done it again. You know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. You can't go name the person who it was. So, and also it's an unexpected thing. and you know, creates a whole domino effect. So I understand why they had to take their time in deciding it. But that day I was like, that was the, that was the longest I had to wait. I honestly think I didn't really have to wait that long because the makeup process was quite lengthy. So usually by the time I was done with the makeup process, I'd eat breakfast and then they'd call me within like one or two hours. Um, yeah. That was, I, I remember, actually, I remember at the time hearing that there had been, someone has contracted uh, COVID and production was shut down. And it's it's very different, I suppose, reading the headline to being there on the set. And you're just like, 
Two weeks, grand, okay, off we go. Will I leave the makeup on? Will it just be easier? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, so two funny things. One, it ended up actually being a false positive. Oh, um, but okay. because it had been announced already, it was like they just had to kind of stick with it. Um, and also, you know, better safe than sorry, especially at that point, that was still, you know, we didn't we didn't have as much information as we have now and it, we were still getting back in the groove of like how do we do productions with all these restrictions and keep everyone safe and you know all that type of stuff uh but it ended up being a false positive so luckily no one was even exposed thank goodness um and then it actually ended up being a good excuse for me or not a good excuse but it ended up being uh serendipitous for me because i had just booked something on chicago pd a little guest star not a little guest star a guest star um but i wouldn't have been able to do it i was about to say no to it like literally that same day because i had just gotten that notification that like oh they want you for this but we're going to tell them no because you're on you're shooting picard right now but then i was actually able to go fly out to chicago which was super great um and yeah so i wasn't just like sitting around being like oh i wish we were back on set it was like i was able to you know get another thing in there which was cool. They are really nicely. And then whoever, whichever one of your friends, um, false positive, uh, I hope you gave them a nice Christmas present. <laughs> oh uh, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's just nice. That's just paying it forward. Like, yeah. Go on. It was Jerry Ryan, wasn't it? Yeah. She's just lovely. Yeah. yeah no problem. Lips are yeah. sealed. Lips are sealed. Can't say anything. <laughs> um, going back in time now, slightly, there was actually, there was, obviously I want to ask you all about, you know, kind of how you got started in the industry, where you got to now, but I also wanted to say, uh, I, I just had a quick look at some stills from Magic Funhouse, and I don't think I'm ever going to sleep again. That show <laughs> looks crazy. It is wild. It is definitely something that you would see on, like, Adult Swim, mm. um, that type of, like, over-the-top, um, highly almost like south park style humor where they just am i allowed to say shit well you just have yeah of course. Well, you i figure you like can i figure i figure you can edit out if i'm not allowed to say that but they basically just shit on everyone um and it's just like super taken to like the extreme and um that was a really fun show so that was uh warner media show um when streaming was still i mean it wasn't even that many years ago but streaming was not taken as seriously at that time um, so Warner Media, which now like owns HBO and stuff like that, um, was trying to create a new streaming platform, basically capitalizing off of influencers. So there's this amazing, amazing YouTube uh, sketch comedian named Brandon Rogers, uh, who basically partnered with Full Screen to create this show called Magic Funhouse, which the whole idea is it's a children's tv show it's like behind the scenes of a children's tv show where everyone who works at that show has no business being around children in any capacity like they should they are the worst possible people to be there um i think the tagline was it's an adult show about a kid's show um but that was super super fun super crazy uh and yeah that was kind of my first big role that i got after college and that was just a super fun whirlwind and and yeah, <laughs> that was, it was, it was, I was just, cause I was, I was going down through your list of credits. I was like, that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. Oh, you've been in a lot of this one. I was like, oh my Lord. I think the, the first image you've got like bloodstained bandages on you and everything. Yeah. And oh like, yeah. Oh yeah. Um, to give a little example of the style of comedy in season one, towards the end, I get shot in the head. 
Um, and I survive somehow I survive, which is amazing. But then in season two, when I come, when we all come back, I show them what the scar is and it's a scar in the shape of a butthole right on my forehead where my third eye would be. So <laughs> definitely not everyone's type of humor, but you know, it really commits to, to what it's going for. And I had a blast shooting that and I'm, I'm still really good friends with all the people from that show. That is absolutely, I mean, I think if you can, if you finish up any project and look back and be like, that was great, then it's a success. A hundred percent. And I've been trying to, um, I was watching, um, oh my gosh, I can't remember her name. I was watching this Hollywood Reporter roundtable with that woman who played Queen Elizabeth, young Queen Elizabeth in The Crown. Um, oh, uh, Claire Foy. Yes, yes, uh, Claire Foy. And she was saying that she really appreciates when, or she's trying to shift her perspective to be like not so focused on the end product, but rather like how can you have a good experience on set and have everyone enjoy their time? And of course there are difficult hours, but like how can you prioritize that so that everyone's just enjoying themselves? And then that will lend itself to creating a good product rather than everyone like punishing themselves or sacrificing so much in the name of this amazing product like sometimes it's just really more rewarding to focus on this and whatever the product is whether it's good or bad or somewhere in between that's kind of secondary and i really felt like that was the case on magic funhouse like we were really focused on having a good time and yeah that was that still has a whole holds a little special place in my heart i actually have these little pins here this was a character named mr potty mouth that they gave oh. us these little like pins that you can clip onto your shirt he's just a a toilet with you know eyes and a mustache and eyebrows <laughs> I, I, I i love i I don't, I don't know why but there's something about the idea of a toilet with a mustache that is both amazing and a little bit uncomfortable at the same time that yes yes the whole thing about brandon's type of humor is definitely pushing the edge of what's comfortable like you want to be a little bit like ooh, like <laughs> ooh, like i don't know if i am allowed to laugh like is ah what's happening uh but ultimately it like I don't know. I really like it. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> I love that. I, I love it. It's the kind of thing where you have a laugh going, I'm going to get cancelled for this. Anyway. <laughs> uh, well, he and I had a couple talks about that, you know, when, when cancel culture really became big. He was worried. He called me and he was like, I'm really worried. Should I be taking this stuff down? Um, I'm worried about what's happening next. And I was like, I mean, I'm, I'm not the person to give advice, but um, I basically was like, told him that it's equivalent in my mind to to South Park, like I said before, like, it's not like you're choosing one specific group and mocking them incessantly. It's like you're kind of making fun of everyone. And sure, he's pushing it to the limit. But it, he's not making jokes that are like, reflective of his own personal opinion. He's making jokes that are a commentary on people who are ridiculous or really like, misinformed or really evil or bad people type of stuff if that it makes is, any sense it does and it's something i think there will be more and more conversations on this exact topic because there is there seems to be an increasingly fine line between what is acceptable as humor and what is unacceptable and i'm not going to go broad strokes in anything sometimes some jokes do age badly some jokes aren't funny a hundred percent a hundred percent um and I think shock humor, uh, which I I I I have enjoyed rather a lot of shock humor in my life. And there's sometimes you'd see something today and be like, "Oh my god, I cannot believe a laughter." And then other times you'd be like, 
it depends i think on what's the target i think you 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 did it beautifully there it's like it's about everyone it's about no one mm-hmm. you know it's not like today we will write something about sean and we're going to tell everyone what an absolute arsehole he is i'm like that's <laughs> not a joke that's just being mean exactly you know? exactly yeah. Um, but uh, I presume part of your contract with Star Trek is that that gets immediately buried. Any of your name gets taken off that what's worth this because, as, <laughs> as you know, Star Trek has never had scandal of any kind ever. <laughs> correct, correct, correct. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere up in, up in the stars, Gene Roddenberry's going, we're watching the same show here? Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, so how does baby Alex get into the career that you end up in? Um, so I actually was quite introverted. I'm, I would still say I'm introverted, um, or that term that some people say introverted extrovert or which that doesn't sound like it makes any sense to me. So I prefer outgoing introvert. Like I'm like, I'm outgoing to an extent, but, um, I'm an introvert in the sense of like, I can get drained if I'm in social situations too long and I need that alone time. So it was actually really unexpected for my family that I went this route. They always knew I was an artist. I was always interested in music and painting and drawing and stuff like that and writing. Um, But I would have never expected this. Like the first time that in school, I, they had some class, I think it was my English class in elementary school. They were putting on uh, the Tempest, Uh, uh, you know, a version of the Tempest that is <laughs> that the elementary best school players version can do. that's ever yeah. been produced ever. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I literally chose not to be in the cast. I chose to be like um, on the on the crew, and they made everyone say at least one line. So I think I had one line where I was like, "Sir, come this way," or something like that, or like, "Here comes your package," or who knows something, some phrase that was like less than five words because I was so afraid of being in front of people. Um, and then when I was in middle school, my friend, my best friend, Rosalie Fisher at the time, uh, was trying to audition for the school play, but she, which was, um, uh, oh, what was it? Into the Woods. It was Into the Woods Jr., which basically Into the Woods Jr. just takes the first act of Into the Woods where everything has like a happy ending and doesn't go into the whole second act where stuff gets cray cray again. Um, but basically she was like you have to come with me don't worry like i just need a friend to be there with me uh blah 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 blah. so she basically wrote me into going to the audition with her but i had no intention of like even doing it if i got uh chosen i was not chosen for that because i was so shy and so embarrassed um they literally cast people as rocks and trees in that production and my audition was so bad that i was not even capable of being cast as a bush or a tree or a rock uh because i was so shy and then the second year she was like oh now they're doing the music man uh you should come with me again and i was like whatever i'll just be a good friend i'll go with her again i know they're not going to choose me so like what's the harm i'm just being a good friend right now and then they actually cast me as marcellus washburn which is like one of the leads in that um, and I was like, oh, do I do this or do I not? This was really scary. And then I ended up doing it um, and got really good feedback. And then the next year I was the lead in Little Shop of Horrors. And I was like, this is actually a fun way. This is maybe again, getting very uh, heady like we were at the beginning of the episode. But I started to look at it as like, I struggle a lot with social situations or at the time I struggled a lot more. And with acting, there's a map laid out for you. You know, you have your script. So it's like, okay, I just have to, you know, follow the map and like follow this script 
And I felt like a lot more free and a lot more like I understood what was going on. I felt a lot less anxious when I was doing that compared to in real life where like someone could say anything at any time and I don't know how to react or I make a joke and it, no one laughs and I feel embarrassed or, you know, a million things can go wrong in an yeah. everyday situation. Um, and so that's kind of what sparked that. And then I started doing community theater because I was not in love with the quality of the theater at my high school, um, which is, you know, normal. It was totally great high school productions, but I just wanted to, you know, take it to the next level. And then there was this show that I was doing at this place called Silver Spring Stage. And my friend was auditioning for Interlochen Arts Academy, which at the time I was not even on my radar. They claimed to be the best arts academy, arts boarding school in the nation the United States. I have no idea how they gauge that, um, <laughs> but <laughs> doesn't everyone. Yeah. I know it's like, yeah. they claim that, but it's like, how do you, first of all, how do you judge the quality of art and how do you judge the quality, like on an objective level to be able yeah. to make that claim, like on a personal, you know, subjective level, sure. But on an objective level to say, this is the best art school um, or like, this is the best art. I, it just feels like a, ridiculous concept to me but i'll take it i'll put it on my resume and i'll say oh I'll, yeah like well, i it, helped convince my parents to let me go there <laughs> um but it's the best art school in the country and like i just exactly going like well actually how do they judge we don't ask those questions <laughs> exactly <Yeah>. exactly <laughs> um but I, I actually to get them to let me to even audition uh, I actually sent in the audition paperwork beforehand without telling them anything. And then once they had, because first they needed to like review your materials and then you would either be invited to audition or not invited to audition. Um, so once I had the invitation to audition, then I brought the subject to them. And I was like, I made out this whole spreadsheet of like people who went to this high school went to all of these Ivy Leagues. Whereas if I stay at my public school, these are the ones that are going to be happening. And they're giving me this scholarship and blah, 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 blah. I made out this like whole long argument and they finally were like, Okay, we'll let you audition thinking like there's no way it's going to happen. And then I got in and I went there for my last two years of high school. Um, and then I went to USC, University of Southern California in LA um, for normally it's four years in the US uh, for college, but I ended up doing it in three. Um, you'll be editing this, right? So you can you can take out whatever is me rambling too long <laughs> or oh, whatever you think is unnecessary. <laughs> I, I, I'm, loving, I'm loving all of this. The, the okay, thing, perfect. If we were like, John, absolutely cut that, then don't worry, it's gone. Otherwise, this will all be used against you in a court of law. Okay, perfect, perfect, perfect. Um, well, I already have my degree from USC, so they can't take that away from me. Excellent. But um, basically, at the time, my dad was switching jobs, um, so we were unsure about whether we were going to have the stream of income for them to keep paying for college for me. Um, so I basically decided I had done all this research online and I figured out, oh, if you declare a double major with two majors that are significantly different from each other, um, then they can give you like free extra credits that you can do every year. Like instead of taking four credit or however many you would do, I don't even remember, like 12 credits a year, you could do 18 or per okay. semester or whatever. So I declared that I was also gonna be like a biology major or something like that, which I had no interest in, but they weren't like saying, oh, every semester you have to take X amount of classes for biology and X amount of classes for theater. I just had declared that, took advantage of the extra credits and then just 
piled all the theater classes in. And then when I finished at the end of the third year with all my credits for theater, my guidance counselor was like, so you're done with the theater major, but you have not really started on the biology. And I was like, you know, actually, I think I'm going to drop that. Uh, I just, you know, have lost interest. And then I was like, okay, guess you're graduating. Um, <laughs> that's, that's savvy. Uh, like that's Thank you. Yeah. I feel like after, I don't know if, I must not be the only person who did that. <laughs> they must have known it was a possibility. <laughs> and it's the very definition of don't hate the player, hate the game. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, and then should I just start going off into more what, what, biographical cause, stuff? Or? Yeah, because I'm really fascinated. Like, uh, Just actually going back to this, did you say it was a, a boarding school? So how full yes. on was that? Like, I okay, so quite full on. Yes. So it's a boarding school, but they also have a lot of fame for their arts camps, like summer camps. Um, and but I, I never attended the summer camps. I attended the boarding school, which basically, if you know anything about Michigan or if any of the listeners know about Michigan, it's right up in the pinky, which is a very cold area by a lot of lakes. Um, and they have like three feet of snow almost the whole year or at least the whole school year while I was there. So they would have like parents weekend within the first two months of school when it was like still all autumny and really beautiful. And then as soon as the parents leave, there's like blizzards. And it was actually quite difficult because they really would only plow between the dorms, the cafeterias and like the buildings where they had classes. So you couldn't really go anywhere. Like technically you were allowed to sign off campus under certain conditions, or you were allowed to even explore around the grounds um, and stuff like that. But physically, unless you're willing to trudge through three feet of snow, like you're pretty much trapped in your dorm or like the rotundas where they hold classes or the cafeteria. Um, so the, the arts education was quite good, but I did, and I feel like everyone else else who went there went a little bit crazy just because of that unless they were already from colder climates which i was not i'm i'm from dc originally washington dc so I, you know it gets cold but it'll like barely snow there it'll it's rare if it sticks so just being exposed to this it felt like a whole another world but the arts education was fantastic <laughs> that's that's incredible and actually i i just hear, hear like this is is your schooling there and the fact that you had come from very cold dc is that what is now responsible for the splitting your time between LA and Madrid, you know, two not really cold places on earth? Well, so LA, I went there because USC, I was basically between New York and LA and I had- New York and LA, oh my God. How many times did you have to do that? Oh, no, 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 no. I wasn't living between New York and LA. When I graduated, oh sorry, sorry, I said that poorly. When I graduated high school, I was cho choosing between NYU and USC. Right, um, sorry. No, no, that's me. Also, I did not explain that. Further well. <laughs> points <in> the US. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, although I do have some friends who are doing that now and they make it work. Um, but that seems tough. Uh, but so LA basically came because I ended up choosing USC because I loved the idea of the film school there. I'd always uh, also New York was very close to DC. Like it's just a couple hours train ride. And I wanted to have more space between like me and my family. I also have some family in New York. I love my family, but I just wanted to like feel like I was doing this on my own, like, you know, taking life by the reins or whatever that saying is. And I was like, I want to do this and like go out there and like Hollywood and all this stuff. Um, so that's where I got LA. And then basically Madrid happened by accident. Um, 
So my mom had inherited this apartment in Madrid uh, after her great uncle or her uncle passed, uh, who was basically her one of her father figures. Um, and we just had this apartment in the family that no one was really using. We were renting it out. But because my mom, even though my mom is Spanish, um, she's been living in the U.S. for 30 years now. And right. she's considered a foreign investor because she has Spanish citizenship, but she's not a resident. Okay. So the taxes that she was paying on that apartment were just astronomical. The rent she was charging from the person who was living there was basically only covering the costs of that type of stuff. So we basically, during the pandemic, we lost the person who was staying here or not lost, like she passed away. She's still alive and doing well. Uh, but she just was no longer living in the apartment. So it was empty. And my mom was like, I think we're going to sell this place, blah, 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 blah. So I basically was like, well, all the auditions are virtual these days. They're all through something called self-tape, which basically is just you record it. That's what this thing is behind me is just like a little photo backdrop. I was wondering if for the it's not it's not a it's not a sex dungeon. It's not a sex dungeon, I promise. Okay, well, first of all, disappointing. And second of all, I thought it was just like, now, have you got like a cloaked window or something? Because I can see that it looks, it, it is, it's a blind that you would pull down, but I'm just like, yeah. I can't see the glass. I'm sure no, I'm missing no. something you just, here. You just pull on the on the thing you would, wait, the way you would pull on a blind and then the paper comes down the way that you would see like at a photo shoot. Um, gotcha. But I just use that for my self-tape auditions. Um, other people just do it in front dungeon. of exactly for the sex dungeon or i or i yeah yeah basically <laughs> um but so basically i was like well auditions are now because self-tapes were around before the pandemic but they weren't used as much um and then with the pandemic everything became self-tape and it's still pretty much 95 percent self-tape at least for first round auditions and most callbacks um so i was like well i could go to spain and like kind of see like what the situation is. I can live there for a while. I've always wanted to spend some time in Spain because I've been here a bunch, but every time it had been like with my family, like it had always been my mom being like, oh, let's see these family members. Let's go do this. Let's go do this. I didn't feel like I had my own relationship to Spain. And I also have dual citizenship and that had always been a dream of mine to like come and spend some time in Europe. And uh, I was really just planning on spending a little time here and maybe possibly like helping my mom either find a new person to rent uh, the apartment or possibly like sell the apartment. But then I just completely fell in love with everything here. And I have family actually here in the suburbs of Madrid, which, like I said, in LA, I was all on my own. All of my family's on the East Coast. Um, and I didn't realize how much I like kind of missed that. And Madrid also and Spain in general has an amazing film and TV industry. When I was growing up, I always knew that they had an amazing film industry, but their TV industry has boomed a lot in the past five to 10 years. Um, so when I got here and I kind of was like, maybe I'll stay here for like a little bit longer. I still hadn't decided I would be here, like really actually be splitting my time. Um, but I was like, let me see if I can like get an agent out here. And then right away, you know, in LA, it was really challenging for me to find representation at first because, well, also it's a difference of like, I was looking for representation straight out of college, not having done anything versus once I'm here, I've already done Star Trek. I've done a bunch more stuff. Um, but it just kind of was like a bunch of things fell into place really quickly. And I was like, okay, great. And then, yeah, since then I've kind of been just back and forth uh, depending on like what 
work and family and friend stuff happens. Like I've been back for, I just did this really fun indie film where I play a cult leader similar to Keith Ranieri from the Nexium oh, cult. Yeah. Uh, so if anyone doesn't know who that is, basically, instead of it like being the classic cult with like a white cloak and a cap and everything, this was more uh, like a self-help group that was secretly a cult, like a sex cult where they were horribly mistreating people, branding people, doing awful stuff. This is not directly that story. Like this is not, we don't, we didn't, we didn't have the rights for that and they wanted to fictionalize it a bit, but it's using that type of inspiration to create this type of thing. So I've been back for that. I've been back for some short films that I've shot, um, but I'm kind of making my base here for the time being, just because it's so new. And I'm just really enjoying, I spent 10 years in LA, including the time I was in college. So I was kind of ready for a, a shift. Um, and my uncle works for American Airlines. Uh, so I luckily, travel is not as expensive for me uh, as it has been in the past. So I'm just like, there are so many things that have lined up in my favor, just like, I can't say no to these opportunities. And I'm like, how often does this type of stuff happen and who knows how long I'll be able to take advantage of being in both places and like not really feeling restricted and with auditions being virtual I can kind of go to both places I can go on vacation and not lose opportunities so I've again I don't know how long all of this like international living situation will live but for now it's working out awesome and I'm having the best time uh, but yes definitely definitely after Michigan to circle back to your question, definitely after Michigan, I was like, no more super cold stuff, at least for like a permanent residence. <laughs> of course, I love visiting places, uh, but to live, no, thank you for now. <laughs> that, is, that, that makes that makes perfect. At least when you're going on holiday somewhere, you're braced. You know you're going to deal with cold. That's fine. But it's a different And there's a time with... that it ends as well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, no, when, it, when it's what is now, obviously, I'm talking to you today from Ireland. So mm-hmm. uh, not well known for its uh, its bright sunny weather. Um, you know it, it has it has a few days. I'm looking out now. Lovely weather. Um, I think the rain is actually vertical to, as opposed to the usual horizontal. So that's good. Oh, uh, the, the, nice. the weather's improving. Yeah, good. Um, yeah, yeah. It's 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 quite nice. You should come and visit. It's grand. You do like rain. It's very important that you like rain. Yeah, I do like rain. I I mean, again, maybe similar to what I said about the cold. Maybe not to live in like five days out of the week but i do like rain i like rain a lot i find it very refreshing and very like sensorial i don't know i feel that when it's raining i feel very alive i'm like oh like i don't know something about my senses it just like sparks it up another level maybe also because i've been living in la and madrid where it doesn't rain that often so it's something newer to me maybe if i was in your situation and it's so common i'd be like oh whatever rain it's it's I love it. Everyone handles things differently. Like you know, I I could go and live in a sunny place for a while and be like, people like this. What? Like, but I'm but, but what's going? I'm sweating. I haven't sweat in like three years. No. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, that's. Do, do you find as well with obviously you're you're acting so much, and I definitely want to talk about your writing as well. Uh, but I definitely want to talk about your dancing. So yes. you have uh obviously you're you've gone and you've studied ballet, which um just how much do you get to use that these days in your career? Or would that be say, would that be your number one? Is that what you know endgame is for you? There was a time where that was endgame. Um 
So when I was at the Kirov Academy of Ballet, to clarify, I was at the DC branch, uh, which is the US branch. I was not in Russia. Um, but when I was there, there was a time where I was like, this is going to be my focus. And like, because dancing has an expiration date and acting, I think, really doesn't. Um, so I was like, you know, I can always do that. That would be the way to do both would be to prioritize dance now and then switch focus to acting when that kind of peters out or when I have to take a step away. Um, and then actually, although my major was theater or dramatic arts in college, uh, I was very involved in the ballet community in LA. I ended up being a soloist at a company called Pasadena Dance Theater, which is contemporary ballet. So not as traditional as the Vaganova style Kirov stuff. Um, but to be honest, after my first um, season there, and again, I was a soloist, like I was kind of achieving like what I had wanted to do, what I'd kind of set out as a goal. Uh, I kind of realized I wasn't that happy. Um, so I decided I got injured, uh, but it wasn't the type of injury that would have ended a career. Okay. Like it would have just taken a little bit of time to to be totally transparent. I kind of used it as an excuse to step away. Um, and then I switched my focus more to like, contemporary dance and uh, some modern stuff. But ultimately that ended up kind of morphing into my love of yoga because I really loved how contemporary, because as, as people who are not familiar with ballet can probably imagine, ballet is super rigid, super structured. Yep. And um, there was a while where that was really rewarding because acting can be so like amorphous. It was like nice to have something to kind of root my stuff in and be like, okay, I know I did it good or I know I did it bad or I know what I need to work on, blah, 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 blah. Um, but then there got to a point where it's tough to focus on the positive when you're, at least for me, it was tough to focus on the positive in ballet because there is such like an idea of what quote unquote perfect would be. It just ends up being focused on like self-criticism a lot, at least in my experience. Um, so that was kind of what led into contemporary where it was more expression based. And of course, there's still a lot of technique as well. But um, I, I think I never got technically to the level of ballet where I felt free enough to also express that emotional and spiritual level, which some amazing dancers are able to do. I never got to that level. Um, maybe if I'd stuck with it, I would have been able to. But that's what really drew me into contemporary. And then through my friends and contemporary, they basically introduced me to yoga. Um, which that has kind of taken more focus again, because that basically was, you know, kind of hitting those same buttons and those same interest points of like moving your body and the way that you express. But um, it was more about like expression of self, similar to what I was saying about contemporary. And it was more about self-exploration and like knowing yourself and understanding yourself and what can your body do. And there was a lot of focus on being kind to your body and listening to your body, listening to your mind. There's also a huge mental aspect to yoga, um, which I found was really, really helpful, especially being in an industry that can at times be very cutthroat and be very you know, unforgiving and not very warm and cuddly. Uh, so I felt like that was super, super helpful. And to be honest, I, I don't dance as much anymore these days. I do still do a lot of yoga. I recently released my yoga app, Yogable, which you mentioned before. Um, but now it's more like dancing for fun at home or like 
I just recently had an audition where it's for a, a new show where they're looking for ballet dancers. So I, I'm still dancing to the level that like probably in a movie or a TV show, I could like fake it and then maybe have a body double to do the really impressive stuff. But uh, my to be totally transparent, my skill level is not at the level where like someone would believe I'm a principal dancer at ABT or anything. But I feel like that's been kind of a beautiful thing because I feel like we get really focused and stuck on goals that we set for ourselves when we're really young mm. and like not really re-examine them later on. And I feel like that has been my my relationship with movement and dance and yoga and my body has really been you know that like coming to learn like okay what did i want before is that still what i want and then learning to kind of like let go of things that were once dreams because you realize it's not what you thought it was as much and ultimately it's been much healthier for me mentally to to step away from that as well <laughs> i think no please correct me if i'm wrong but i think when yoga which is obviously so incredible for your mind and body it's not competitive where correct say, dancing I, not by its nature, but can be extremely. I mean, like, uh, straight away, you know, Black Swan pops into your head whenever. I think that's yeah. kind of like, for better or worse, that is now. Oh, Bali! Oh, I see. Have you stabbed one of your um, <laughs> contemporaries yet? You know. I mean, that's like kind of. It's a little bit of a cliche in the dance world, but it is a cliche because it's true to an extent. Um, it's really, really tough to not fall into that competitive mindset and yoga. There are yoga competitions like I'm not going to say there aren't, which those are more focused. I think those are less focused on like the mental aspect. That's more like looking like, OK, how extreme can the pose you're making be or like how crazy can this be? But that's that almost goes more into like an acrobatic side of yoga. Sure. Um, but the type of yoga that interests me I think is exactly what you're saying. It's like taking away all element of competition, including competition with yourself. Even if you want to continue growing, it's more focused on growth rather than like beating your previous goal. You know, like it's not putting yourself in competition with anything. It's just like, what can I do today? What can I accomplish? Um, and then if it doesn't happen, like not beating yourself up about it. Like maybe today I can't hold a handstand. Hmm. Okay. That's okay. How can I be kind to myself and like not, you know be mean yeah. um, and i suppose the, the the comparison with yourself say that there was oh but i was able to do it last week it says and something's different this week exactly like it's not important it's not like you're you're not doing badly because you're not doing what you did last week you're doing something different today mm -hmm. um, um like for example i know i absolutely will not be able to hold a handstand today i know this <laughs> in, my, in my soul and in my heart but maybe with a bit of training i'll be able to do it not next week but the week after or maybe a little bit further in the future but still. maybe you never know you never know and yeah some some days i really feel like um i'm not a very spiritual person or anything like that but i do feel like there's some sort of connection with yourself that does maybe not enlightenment to that level but there's some sort of way that you can sometimes get tapped in with your own energy and just things go into flow like there will be days where i know for example using that handstand example where it's like i know every single muscle i need to activate and i'm doing it but something is not happening and it's not working and then some days like i don't even think about anything and it just works perfectly um and i think that yoga although again it's a constant flow and a constant change and constantly like reworking 
different stuff and examining what's happening today and how do you proceed, I feel like it is kind of working on that path to maximizing the amount of time you can spend in that state of flow, if that makes sense. I I I I think it does because I think we all (laughs) in our in our own various things I think that is there is something universal in that Mm -hmm. whether it's physically emotionally spiritually everyone's welcome on this podcast yeah or even like a painter I'm sure painters get into I paint like for fun but I I don't consider myself a painter but like any type of artist or creative or I'm sure even a mechanic or like different types of people there hopefully people understand that idea of like falling into a state of flow where it's like stuff is happening and you are doing it not by accident but you're not forcing it to happen at the same time um there's there's one comparison i think might work for that is that uh in the past i have done a good bit of running and some days it's headphones on no problem do the run you come home and other days you feel every single step and it'll be yeah. exactly the same as you did before. And it'll be the same thing you'll do again. And it's all, I, obviously there is a physical aspect to it, but I'd say a lot of it is, it's uh, it's mental for whatever reason. There could be, mm-hmm. could be anything. Or there could be the physical of like, mm, I probably shouldn't have had that pizza last night. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you should have. <laughs> See, and, and, and I didn't have the pizza and I went, oh, I'll be great. And then I didn't have the energy. That's what it is. Uh, yeah. There's no right or wrong answer. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. I feel like we're always in progress, you know, as human beings. And that's why, especially like yoga and dance and or anything, really, like, I feel like we never are done. You know, it's not like you accomplish this and you're like, oh, I know how to do a handstand and now I'll have that forever. Or like, I know how to like, cry in this one scene. Now I'll be able to do it in every single possible scene at the drop of a hat. Um, like, we're always changing as human beings. So it's normal that like our abilities and our thought focuses and our everything would change as well. And I feel like we can cause a lot of grief for ourselves if we really hold expectations of ourselves that are not permissive of like change or of sometimes going back. Here's this. Oh no, I won't show you that because that's visual, but I will show it to you anyway. There's this this thing that I put on my wall that says success, what people think it looks like. And it's just a straight arrow going up diagonally. And then it says what it really looks like. And it's just a squiggly line. That's like sometimes going up, sometimes going down side to side backwards, but eventually is making its way up. Um, And I think that that really resonates with me at least. And yoga has helped me, you know, really implement that mindset because there's a lot of things that are not linear about life, whether it's career based or just like emotionally or like getting over trauma. Maybe you'll be like, oh, I thought I was like, I thought I'd really processed this, but now all of a sudden I'm like really triggered again. Um, I feel like it's normal to want to think that it's like ABC going up the steps until you get to the end. But there's so much about life that is confusing and doesn't make sense, at least to me. So, yeah. Again, I'm like going into these like long things and I don't, I forget what the question is again. (laughs) Um, I'd asked you what your favorite pet was. No, but um, (laughs) it is because you're you're so right. And I I do believe that's very universal. I think we want to be able to build a very simple structure that if we follow A, B and C, we'll be able to get to D and there Mm -hmm. we go. We're grand and we're laughing. And so many of us, and I, I don't beat myself up for this. There's a lot of times I don't get past A. Yeah, um, for that's normal. Reason. Yeah, yeah. 
and I'm just like, oh, right. And then other times I might get as far as C and then actually I go back to B and, and this and this. And you have to you have to give yourself a break. You have to give yourself the allowance for that, because if we run our lives by uh, going back a little bit to it's the destination as opposed to the journey, then we're never going to be happy. Yeah. When you get there, I mean, you're like, oh, well, what's the next one? What's the next one? Um, this is one of our headier podcasts. I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> me too. Me too. Uh, to be honest, I was not expecting to get so philosophical, but, you know, let it flow. We should have both seen it coming. You know, what was the first Starfleet character we saw you playing? Fate. You know, you know, it's true. There, 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 there <laughs> it is. Yeah. Uh, Fate. And of course, his natural name, Harvey. Um <laughs> <laughs> Um, you're a writer as well, and you've made your own films. Um, yes. So it, does this come up? Because I've spoken to a few people who have, say they've, I won't say they've gone through the process in, in LA because there is no one process, but some people have found that creatively, you know, the what can be trudgery of going for audition, going for audition, going for audition, and whatever happens there sometimes branching out creating their own work because it was their way of getting their own creativity out there and it's been massively rewarding other times you know people are just like i'll do this as well you know you know what wh where do you kind of go on this are you just like you know i am so successful i shall just do this as well another <laughs> feather in the cap <laughs> no 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 not at all i definitely relate to what you're saying about the grind of auditioning and stuff um but i think even more than that um so in Spanish, at least in Spain, I don't know how they refer to it in other countries that are Spanish speaking. Um, but a lot of times, traditionally, we would call acting interpretación, which means interpretation. And I'd never thought about it like deeply before I moved here. But I was like, you know, actors really are interpreting a text. You know, we are interpretive artists. We're not with exceptions, of course, you know, and, you know, we are, I mean, well, I'll basically say we're not creating this from nothing. Um, we might be creating our character or creating a physicality or creating X, Y, Z, or we might be contributing to the script with our ideas, or we might be creating something with improv and we're definitely creating a connection and truth in the moment, but we're ultimately interpreting a text. Um, so there are limitations to that. And also, like you were saying, sometimes as actors, you don't always choose all the roles you do. Sometimes it's like, wow, I haven't worked for six months. I'm going to do this, even though it's kind of a repeat of another role I've done uh, because I need the money. <laughs> um, and or or just because like, oh, I really want to work with this director, uh, but maybe the role isn't as juicy for me or stuff like that. Um, and what I really love about writing is that ability to just kind of create something from nothing. And also because I don't consider it, I primarily consider myself an actor and all the other stuff that you were saying at the beginning, which again, thank you for that amazing intro. I consider those like little spices on top and extra stuff. Um, so for me writing, I've never put any pressure on myself to like be successful with it, which I think has given me an awesome liberty to just like really create what I want to do and really express like maybe like a weird perspective that would maybe not be marketable or like would maybe not have an economic incentive for a studio to make or something like that. Um, like I've done, I really 
love this like small little passion project I made during the pandemic called Teardrop Hunting, which is a podcast, a fictional podcast. Uh, so not like an interview style one. This is if people don't know what a fictional podcast is, it's basically like a um, like a radio play. Uh, so you're just listening to the audio of the conversations and stuff like that. But that one was basically about an artist who be a visual artist, a painter who becomes convinced that his art sucks because he hasn't experienced enough trauma in his life. So he ends up going to like try to self generate and like create his own trauma to implement them on upon himself to like make his art deeper. And like, again, maybe I'm just really heady, but like, <laughs> that's a concept that was really interesting to me because I feel like a lot of times we have this concept of like the tortured artist, the tortured soul. And I was like, wouldn't that be fun if a character like tries to create his own self torture? But I don't know. I feel I'm sure if I had gone the more traditional route of like trying to pitch that places and, you know, get more team members on it. Uh, it would have really changed what it would have been. And I'm sure it would have also been great. But because it was the pandemic, and this was early pandemic that we started on this, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do this on my own. And if we just, if it sucks and we never release it, that's fine. But I just like think this is interesting and I want to have something to do with my friends because a lot of my other actor friends were like, all their shows had been shut down and stuff during the pandemic as well. Um, so we were just able to kind of really do that like bare bones. I ended up being like, one of the editors on it, like actually editing the audio tracks, which was new to me. I was not the primary person doing that, um, but writer, producer, director acting in it. And it really felt a lot more creative than just doing the acting, um, which I love doing acting stuff. And again, I don't think I'm the most incredible writer in the world. And I, I do feel more joy from a good acting experience. Of course, there's bad acting experiences and there's like medium acting experiences. But when you're like, when it's a good acting experience, for me personally, there's like nothing that can be more rewarding. Uh, but in a sort of in a search to kind of experience more of that and also to express more of myself and to get more of that creative energy out and feel more control over what I'm doing with my career. Uh, I feel like writing is an awesome supplement and a great way for me to, you know, just explore these different sides of myself that maybe if I was only focusing on stuff that other people think I might be a good fit for, then I would never really explore those things. I feel that that is a, that is a story that I, it must be universal to so many actors that, you know, there is huge reward in let's say performing Shakespeare or or something like this and then but to take something that you have personally created because I think now I, I I do write a bit myself and of course a bit of yourself goes into the whatever the finished product is or whatever the process is um which is terrifying for some of the people who've read some of the stuff like, <laughs> oh this guy's got issues um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you if anyone listens to Teardrop Hunting, you'll definitely think I'm deranged and unwell, but we're going to be like, you know, Alex actually pitched the robots destroying Mars, didn't he? Like they were just going to be like the good characters. Oh, my God. No, I just got to set and I just started doing that and I just hijacked the set and they had no choice but to use it. They were just like, thank God we these cameras. I don't know where he got the weapons or the ships from. This is incredible. It's awful. Poor people are dying. Oh, my gosh. But it is. I I think there is that there there is something to that where to take something that you've created yourself 
um, in any medium from I, I, in any medium and to be able to to express that, I think is I, I could definitely understand the, the drive to do that. And it's kind of like a bit of a breather as well. Nothing, there's nothing wrong. Definitely. With it. I mean, Shakespeare has been around for a while. I presume he'll be around for a wee bit longer. You know, he's not going not... anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> ex- 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 exactly. Um, it's kind of like it's kind of like a breather in that. And, and you say so, teardrop hunting that is available. Like I can listen to that. Yes, right now, that's on Spotify, Apple Music. Uh, uh, I think yeah, those two. I think it's also on Amazon. Um, but definitely oh, Spotify nice. and Apple Music. Um, but yeah. It's very, it's very artistic. I'll say, <laughs> very alternative. <laughs> that, is, that, that is actually fine. Having seen the pictures from Magic Funhouse, I do not doubt it. <laughs> it's very different. I'll say again, very different style of humor than Magic Funhouse, but it is pushing the envelope in a different way. Um, and again, type of like black humor, cringe humor, but much darker than Magic Funhouse. Uh, but I did I did use a couple of the actors for Magic Funhouse, like Brandon, who created Magic Funhouse, plays a really fun role in that as, um, yeah, I'll, I won't say anything else, but yeah. <laughs> well, that's cool. Like, I am going to listen to that. And what I'll do is I, in the description of this episode, I'll put a link to that so so people can make up their own minds. Oh, great. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, you, and you'll, you'll just get a, a boon of people listening and then you'll just get all the comments going, are you OK? <laughs> Once they listen to the last episode, they'll know that I'm not okay. <laughs> well, that, that well, actually, anything that was written or produced during the pandemic, I think everyone gets a pass. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, yeah, yeah. What's going on in life? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Um, in, in terms of, of this episode, we're coming up toward the end of this episode now. Um so I I will not reveal your age on on air, but I know your age and you've done a lot in, <laughs> Thank in, you. in, in the time that you have. You have been busy. Thank um, you. I don't mind if you say my age. You can say my age. I'm about to turn 30 in January. About to turn 30. I remember that feeling. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, so in 29 and a bit years, uh, you, you have done so, so much. So... In, depending on what you can or can't say kind of what's next for you you know i'm really trying to stop being a control freak um so i'm trying to not structure and plan as much um but i will say so basically unclear unclear what's new for me i'm trying to just like go with the flow see what happens what's life going to bring me what projects will come my way um i have a short film right now that i'm seeking distribution for it called scene which is about a dancer who is it's not available anywhere at this moment um but maybe but i'll let you know when it is and then maybe if it's available somewhere then you can put that in the link or whatever um but that's about a dancer who's super passionate but just not quite as talented as his passion wants to be and he basically starts to uh come to terms with the idea that it might never be more than a hobby but unsimilar unlike my life like that was his one true passion um and it kind of examines the idea of whether art is worth doing even if no one is watching um which short answer yes it is uh uh and then i have another really fun short that i just got back all the footage from that i was just shooting in la uh called 
uh, snakefish. And it basically, oh, I don't want to give anything away. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. So basically, it's about a catfishing scenario. Oh, it's about a catfishing scenario, but it ends up being cute, is all I'll say. (laughs) And that one's not even I haven't even started editing that yet. Um, And but that one's fun. So I know I have these two shorts coming in 2023. I'll have that movie coming out. Uh, where I play the cult leader, which is the working title is called Hello, It's Me. I'm not sure. Sometimes those titles change at the last sure. minute. Um, and then I have a couple scripts that I'm working on writing right now. One that I think will be really fun, uh, which is basically about a uh, <laughs> it's about similar to like Disneyland. It's like a theme park that opens up right next to a prison. Um, okay. But it's like not Disneyland in that they're super like wealthy and able to accomplish the stuff that they put out. This is very like homemade crappy theme park that's right next to this uh, prison. And they basically start a partnership with the prison to get people who like are trying to get those, you know, jobs where you have to go back to prison at the end of the night, but you are allowed to go out and work during the day. Um, So a little bit inspired by Magic Funhouse, but it takes a whole different turn. Uh, of like basically these people who you wouldn't think would be the right fit to be working at a theme park. Uh, But again, it takes a more, I think a more heart-based approach and a less wacky and insane, maniacal, ridiculous element. Um, But that that should be really fun. And then I have a couple uh, other projects that I'm in the mix for, but nothing that I can say at this moment definitively. Um, But yeah. We will see what happens, but I'm still I'm still going to be definitely back and forth between L.A. and Madrid in 2023. So I'm excited. Right. Oh, also another thing I'm doing, if anyone is in Madrid uh, right now, our opening date is at the end of April or beginning of May. But I'm doing a play uh, called Intrusos en la Fantasía in Madrid here, which means Intruders in the Fantasy, which is a really fun play uh, about basically in the first scene, the character who plays the author of the play comes out and is like, hey, guys, I'm so sorry. Actually, I know you spent this money on these tickets, but you really should go home. This is a piece of crap. I'm so sorry we wasted your time. You can go and get your refunds. Just make a single file line. And then I come out and shoot him. And I'm like, how could you possibly like not uh, <laughs> let us put on the show? And then all the characters from the show basically like go into this whole weird meta thing. Maybe that's why I'm so psychological and heady is because I'm working on this play right now. But it goes into like these very weird like alternate universes and like what would happen if these characters took on a life of their own type of stuff. Um, so that's that's a definitive that I am allowed to talk about right now. Um, that's really cool. And I presume that's all in Spanish, yeah? Correct. Yeah, that's in Spanish. So if you're a Spanish speaker or if you like watching stuff and not understanding what they're saying, I invite well, you. I was going <laughs> to say, if this is like, you know, surrealism and alternate universes, I can go and sit there and be like, it doesn't matter that I haven't a clue what anyone's saying. Yeah, is- yeah. And also it's very, it's not in the style of realism at all. It's very farcical, very, takes a lot of elements from clown, which is a style I've never done before for um very almost like caricature-y but finding the truth within the caricatures um so i think there's a lot of stuff you would still get from it even if you don't understand what exactly we're saying i think it would still be fun there's a lot of interaction with the audience and there's just a lot of crazy wacky visual stuff as well that i think would be fun 
that's gonna be keep an eye out now for the slightly hairy Irishman sitting in the second row. <laughs> just delighted to be there. I um, hope you would let me know if you're coming so I could make sure that I'm like, will. okay, good. So you can look good. out for me in the first row. I was like, where is he? Where is he? Where exactly, is he? Ah, exactly. There. There's a point where I have to interact with, uh, there's two different points where I have to interact with audience members. So I could like try to strategize you to put you in one of those seats or something like that. Unless that would intimidate you. <laughs> oh no, it's great. But you might have to feed me. You might have to feed me the lines ahead of time. Like if I have to respond, like, you know, I think C is about the level of my Spanish. I don't think, no, I don't think you have to. It's open that if you were to respond and interact that you could, but you could also just like, smile and nod or like be I'm uncomfortable good <laughs> i'm good at all of those yes all okay right, good 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 it'll work out then <laughs> um i'm gonna i have one last question which i ask of, of all of our guests which i'll ask you now in a moment but before i do that alex thank you so much oh my gosh thank you this has been really fun this has been so much fun. Uh, it's, it's like literally the most psychological podcast <laughs> I think I've done. All uh, thanks to that play. I'm I'm convinced now that it's thanks to that play because I've been spending a lot of time like trying to figure out what on earth is happening in this script. And like, it's all very psychological, metaphorical. So I think I'm just, let's say thank you to the play. I'm, I'm not usually this deep, <laughs> but I'm glad you're enjoying it. I'm having a great time. <laughs> hundred percent you know we'll do the same interview a year from now be like hey Alex, how are you fine <laughs> well yeah we could be like billy eilish with her vanity fair interviews that they do the same interview after every year and we'll just see like how different everything is this would be i i, I can't wait for it. exactly we'll do that and we'll make it a thing we'll you know so that one day you know it's like sean this really doesn't suit i'm actually re receiving my oscar can we please do this interview <laughs> at another time like, oh no, no no i'll bring you on for that i'll bring you on that'll be part of the interview it'll be like also sean wants to say a couple words <laughs> like that actually i know this is so random but you see that kid who basically uh burst onto the stage uh, during the game the video game awards there i think it was last week no i didn't see that the game that won i think game of the year a, a kid just walked up with him and then in the end dedicated it to bill clinton <laughs> Oh my! Oh, and he wasn't like related to any of these nope. people. He was. <laughs> I think it's funny. Oh, I when, love when you look that. back at the clip, you can see the other guys going like, "Who's this guy?" Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! I'm also like, how old-ish was the kid? Yeah, uh, I'm gonna say teens anyway. Okay, okay, so maybe he has a stronger concept of who Bill Clinton is. But I, I was imagining him like five years old, and I'm like, wait, <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> was this just two words you thought sounded nice yeah it's like i heard mom and dad talking about this person and <laughs> i'll just dedicate it um, actually 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 just really really random before i go into my last question yeah were you not in american crime story um, i was oh my gosh yeah I'm so sorry that could speaking of bill clinton <laughs> yeah that was a super so i did a that was a really fun one because um it was I had set it as one of my goals for that year. I'd literally, at the time I was like really into not making um, vision boards, but making like lists of goals. Oh yeah. And one of my goals was say at least one word in a Ryan Murphy show. And I was like, okay, well, I guess it's not gonna happen. And then like December 19th or something like that, they called me and they were like, you got it. Um, but it was a super, super small role. Um, you probably like, it, it was a longer scene, but it ended up getting cut down. Um, but I'm basically 
uh, the barista who's like Monica Lewinsky's go-to barista who she like gossips with a little bit. And she like tells, uh, she tells him that like she's leaving uh, to go to New York next week. But I think that's really all that made it into the final cut. Uh, But that was a super fun experience and so crazy. And like the world is just weird in that way that sometimes when you, I mean, a lot of times when you (laughs) write something down and set it as a goal, it doesn't happen. But it was like, wow, I set this goal and literally like two weeks before the year ended, it happened. Um, Also really quick, this is not a question that you had, but on that note, and again, you can edit this out if if you want to. Um, But something really fun about the my Star Trek experience is five years before they booked me to play F8 in season one, I actually played Data in a makeup tour that Star Trek had partnered with Mac Cosmetics because it was the 50th anniversary of the original Star Trek series. And they were looking for like models slash actors to play some of the characters from the original shows um, from a variety of different shows. They had like Voyager, TNG, they had the original series. Um, So I actually based a lot of F8 and Harvey, if you couldn't tell, uh, inspired by data, obviously much different data is much more, you know, complex and much more fleshed out and has a lot more subtleties and approximates a lot closer to human behavior. Um, but it was just really weird that literally one day in my trailer when I was, um, Oh, it it must've been that same day. Yeah. Uh, so one day when I was in my trailer for season one, it literally showed up on this app called time hop which shows you like old statuses or old posts from the past. And it was that same day, five years ago, that I had met Brent Spiner at the 50th um, anniversary Las Vegas Star Trek convention, uh, because he was just like kind of going around and he was coming coming over, like kind of looking like, hmm, do I approve of this Star Trek Mac Cosmetics collaboration? And I made some joke because data's made in the in the image of dr soong so i made some joke like oh are you dr soong like they said i was made in your image and he like laughed and like he tried to like quiz me a bit to like see if i would break and we had a cute little banter i don't i don't know if he would ever even remember that it was so many years ago and we never crossed paths on the set of picard but it was just so crazy that like five years ago to the day i was also doing something star trek related and when i auditioned for star trek it was labeled as drawing room and then they changed it to Royal flush. And I only knew that I was a synthetic life form. I didn't, they didn't ever clarify that it was star Trek during the audition process. So I just kind of was like, well, a couple of years ago I did this data thing. So like, I guess I'll just do that to make my job a little easier for this audition instead of like creating a synthetic life form from scratch. And then luckily the stars aligned and kind of like made it all happen. And, I mean, it could have been any other show and I would have like made a totally wrong choice to play it that way. But the way that I played it ended up, you know, being totally by accident and it worked out perfectly. So I feel like, again, I'm not that spiritual, but sometimes stuff just flows and stuff happens and serendipity works in your favor. That's uh, that's actually pretty cool, though, in fairness. (laughs) Yeah, it was uh, awesome. I could not believe it. That is that is that is amazing. I will I will kick myself if I don't ask you. Can I get a hell yeah? Hell yeah. (laughs) 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 I'm sorry. That's okay. Nice. 
Okay, go on. <laughs> series, series, series. No um, need for series. You don't have to be serious. Because <laughs> uh, it wasn't planning to. No. Good. Uh, I do. Right. I have a very last question. Yes. Um, so thank you, thank you, thank you. You are amazing. Now, so this easy question, no thought required, you know, first answer, whatever. What does Star Trek mean to you? Oof. Okay. I was actually thinking about this a lot. And since we've already gone through the, we've already established that we're going to be deep on this episode, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to get a little serious. Um, so my grandpa was obsessed, obsessed with the next generation. And Data was actually one of his favorite characters. Um, so I kind of grew up with my dad and my grandpa and my mom all like watching Star Trek. And it was when I was younger, you know, you go through that phase where it's like, oh, my parents think it's cool. So like, I can't think it's cool. Um, So it was kind of something that was in my peripheral, but I was not super focused on it. And then when I did that Mac cosmetics thing, it was really a nice way to like connect with the rest of my family and start to finally share this thing with them that had been so important to them for a long time that I'd kind of rejected just out of principle. Like I'd never even really given at the time of day, not because of anything wrong with Star Trek, just because I was like, oh, I don't want to like the same things that my parents like. Um, And then when I, okay, this is where we're going to get a little serious. And again, if this gets too deep, you can cut it out. Um, But on, so when I found out that I booked season one, it was actually, I was in DC for my brother's funeral. My brother passed away of an overdose. um, And that was like an amazing shining light for our family because as you can imagine that was a incredibly dark time where it's so easy to feel hopeless and like how can you possibly go on and giving that thing that was already so important to our family to kind of be like okay this awful thing has happened but there is something else to look forward to that i felt like my family could all share in that was really like it really just elevated the whole importance of shooting this for me um and then in season two uh my grandpa uh passed away right before i was able to shoot my scenes like literally a couple days before i shot my scenes and because of we were shooting during COVID, i wasn't able to go visit him because of you know COVID reasons um but i was able to get on the phone with him and he was so proud and so happy And it just really feels like it has this incredibly deep space in my heart that is, um, you know, very personal and very family related. And I can't, you know, think of Star Trek without thinking of my brother and my grandpa. And it just really brings such warmth to my heart that I was able to participate in that way. And especially a data adjacent character, which was, again, like I said, my grandpa's favorite character. And I really think it helped our whole family get out of some really dark places. Um, so I'm endlessly grateful for that. And also it was just the most fun thing to shoot in the world. Um, but yeah, hopefully that wasn't too, <laughs> I'm like tearing up a little bit, but. That's, um, that's, that's, that's an incredible, I, I don't want to use the word story, but that is an incredible story that you've, this, this, these events you've been through in the course of this um um, may i also say as well i'm so sorry for your loss thank you um and i am so happy that trek was able to bring some joy 
A hundred percent. It really, really was like the light at the end of a tunnel twice over. Um, and yeah, I'm just so, so grateful. And my whole family is so grateful again. Like, I feel like it takes on way more meaning than just another acting role. And it's not just, you know, a big franchise that's well known. Like it really has had a lot of significance for not just me, but for my whole family. That is that 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 is incredible. I personally cannot wait for the Spanish language Picard spin-off where it's just <laughs> Oh my god, and Rios character. Well, yeah, and Rios, Rios, Rios could Rios, come yes. in as well. Yes. But I was awesome. <laughs> Um, there was a moment where Doug Arniakowski, who, or Kowski, um, who was the director for the two episodes that I did on season two, where he did make a joke. He was like, there's going to be a spinoff where it's just you playing every character. So, you know, it never, you never know. It could happen. Uh, (laughs) just make sure the contract says you get paid per performance, not per episode. Wow. Yes. Good strategy. Good strategy. Or per character. Yeah. Per character. Yes, yes, yes. We'll have 10 more robots. Why not 20? All right, then. Yeah. Let's make it 100. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Alex, this has been incredible. Thank you so much. Um, You are a gentleman through and through, even if you did destroy Mars. (laughs) Well, you know, (laughs) shit happens. Sometimes you make mistakes. Everyone's done it. Everyone's blown up a colony every now and again, you know. Thank you for forgiving can, me for that. It's totally fine. I can never go back to Venus, for example. Like, it's totally fine. You know, that it's... one's very, they deserved that one a little bit, though, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but thank you, Sean, so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. And I've really had a lot of fun on this. And we, I got to send Matt a thank you for putting us in contact. Oh, uh, oh, there's there's flowers on the way to him now. I mean, <laughs> yeah, right now, wherever he is, he's like, "What? What? My my ears are burning. Something's, something's happening. Something's uh, happening." <laughs> um, if anyone listening wants to reach out and get in touch, where's the best place to find you online? Yeah, so I really only have Instagram. I don't have any other social media, and it's just Alex Deal, which is A L E X D, as in David I E H L. Um. And I do my best to respond to to messages and stuff like that. But that's really the only place that I <laughs> that I have anything. I get very easily overwhelmed by social media, and I get really easily sucked in and waste a lot of my time. Um, and other people are great at you know controlling that element and being productive, but I am not. <laughs> so I I have limited myself to just Instagram. But I really really do my best to to interact with people who send me DMs and stuff like that, or comments. Um, maybe not, I can't do it every single time, but I love interacting with people and I love hearing their experiences and what they think. Uh, and yeah, I'd love I'd love to connect more with with viewers. Excellent, well, sorry. hopefully now this will send millions of DMs your yes! way. Yes! Uh, and, and $1 per DM, and then you'll just- <laughs> Perfect, perfect. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to bring this pod to an end now, uh, but at the risk of sounding repetitive, thank you so much. Thank you, Sean. And to everyone who is listening, thank you very much for listening along. Remember that we will be back next week with another episode of the Clone Star Pod. Uh, You are all awesome. Look after yourselves and live long and prosper.